Chapter Twenty Six of Pocket Island. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Pocket Island by Charles Clark Munn. Chapter Twenty Six, The Fate of a Miser. As Manson gazed in horror at those two charred bodies reduced to skeletons in that dark cave. He felt more than ever that his every step for many days had been in obedience to some mysterious power that had at last brought him face to face with danger and death. For one instant the impulse to turn from that ghastly sight and leave the cave came to him, but the baleful fascination of those hideous objects held him prisoner. He could not, if he would, turn away. One of the skeletons for such they almost were, was that of a tall man, face up, the grinning teeth fully exposed. The other of smaller size, with legs and arms drawn together. No signs of clothing were visible on either, and the flesh appeared to have shrunk away, showing the shape of every bone. Midway between them lay a rusted pistol, and just beyond, glistening in the faint light, were bits of glass. When his eyes grew accustomed to the sickening sight, he raised them, looked around, and for the first time saw, a few feet away, a raised, table-like rock, and on it piles of round dark bits of metal. Taking two steps, he stooped, and picking up one of these pieces, held it close to the light. It was a twenty-dollar gold piece, Wonder succeeded horror. What mystery was this? Two charred skeletons beside a pile of gold in this dark and silent cavern. Was it some infernal dream or a reality? He stooped and picked up more of the coins. Gold, every one. Then he examined others and found silver dollars and halves. He turned and looked about holding one torch above his head, and almost expecting to see some spectral form half-hid in the shadows. Only the faintly outlined walls of rock could be seen. Then, feeling faint and weak from the intense strain, he hastily retraced his steps down and out of the cave. He was just in time, for the rising tide had almost cut off his exit, so weak now that he could hardly walk, he crept around to the keg and sat down to think. Then for the first time he looked at the sky and saw the sun faintly visible through the fog. What a blessed sight it was! He had never known before how good the sun could look to a poor, hungry, horror-struck mortal. Then he picked up a shell and pouring a little of the rum out of the keg, drank it. It had a magic effect, for it brought back his strength and courage, and a realization of what he had discovered. In the dread experiences he had just passed through, he had not comprehended what it meant to him. Now he did. He, alone on that haunted island, abhorred and shunned by all, had found a fortune. He drank a little more of the rum. Then he thought of his friends. 
Maybe at that very moment they were nearing the island. He quickly clambered out of the walled-in pocket and looked over the ocean. The fog was lifting, the wind rising, but no sail was visible. He was still a prisoner. Once more he heard that strange bellowing coming from somewhere beneath the island, but it had lost its terrors. He thought of those skeletons in the dark cavern, and only felt curious to know how those two human beings met their death. A thousand bulls, for aught he cared now, might bellow all they chose, so long as they did not show their horns above the rocks, and two or two dozen skeletons more or less in the cave made no difference. He had met and conquered the ghost of Pocket Island, and was himself once more. He took one long look all around, where the white crested waves were rolling as far as the eye could reach, then at the sun now shining bright and warm, and then returned to the cave. The entrance was half under water, but the tide was falling, and he boldly waded in. He was so eager now he could hardly wait to light a torch, and when once more inside, he did not even stop to look at the hideous skeletons, but went directly to the flat rock where the stacks of coin were, removed his coat, heaped all he could carry upon it, and returned to the sunlight. Wildly excited now, he carried his bundle to a flat shelf of rock near where he had first descended into the pocket, emptied it, and returned for more. Three trips he made to secure his wondrous find, and when the last mildewed and tarnished bit of money was secured, he took the pistol and left the cave for good. Then, feeling a little faint and weak, he sat down on the shelf beside his pile of gold and silver and examined the rusty weapon. On the stock was engraved the name of Wolf. Then, as that miser had many years before stacked and counted those same pieces of money, so did Manson now stack and count them. But what a contrast! Wolf had counted with murder in his heart, and feeling only the miser's lust of possession as he hid himself in that dark cavern. Manson counted, thinking only of one good and true girl waiting for him, and feeling that every one of those bits of money were but so many keys to open the door of his dream of wife and home and all the blessings he longed to surround that one loved woman with. And as he counted where God's sunlight fell upon him, and not in darkness, fearing enemies, so was that money destined to be a blessing and not a curse. When the count was made, and that poor hungry fellow, with not to aid him in the battle of life except two hands and a brave heart, found himself the possessor of sixteen thousand dollars, he felt like offering a prayer of thankfulness. He no longer cared that he was faint with hunger or that he was still a prisoner on that lone island. All he thought of was to await the coming of his friends with patience, end his visit as soon as possible, return to Liddy, and tell her of his wondrous find and the fortune that was theirs to enjoy. But he was not to escape that day, for the wind still blew almost a gale, 
and the waves still cut him off from rescue. When the tide fell, he dug clams, and when night came, he sat by his little fire, roasted and ate them, and was happy. That night he saw no spectral shapes or grinning skulls, and when his fire burned low, he crept into his shelter and slept in peace and content. When the morning came, only a summer day breeze ruffled the ocean, and, most gladsome sight of all, only a few miles away was the sloop, with all sails set, and heading directly for the island. When Frank came ashore in the dory, there was a joyful meeting. "'We had to put up sail and run for a harbor to save the sloop when we saw the fog coming,' said Frank, "'and leave you behind. It was that or desert her and come ashore.' I am awfully glad to find you safe, though. Obed waited as long as he dared. Where were you, and what were you doing so long? Trying to find a ghost, replied Manson, who felt like joking now. And I succeeded. I not only found ghosts by the dozen, but two skeletons and one or two skulls scattered around to make things more cheerful. Oh, I've had a real sociable time, I assure you. One of those kind of times when every way you turn a still more hideous object confronts you. A fit of the gyms minus the fun that goes before it. The first night I was so scared I didn't sleep a wink, and the spooks were so thick I dared not turn around for fear of seeing a new one. Your island deserves all that has been said of it, and a good deal more. I've found what's better than ghosts, however. When Frank had followed his friend over into the pocket, and saw what he had found and heard the marvelous story, he gasped for breath. So that is what became of the little Jew smuggler, is it? he said when he saw the pistol. And the story was true after all. "'My stars, but you are in luck,' he continued, as he looked at the stacks of coin, and then, slapping Manson on the back, hilariously exclaimed, "'Ghost hunting pays once in a while, old fellow, don't it? Now you can get married and come down here and stay all next summer, can't you?' Then the two friends, happy as children escaped from school, returned to the sloop, and after half-starved Manson had eaten, as he never did before, they all three went ashore and visited the cave. "'As near as I can recall the story,' said Frank, when they stood looking at the skeletons, "'there was an Indian who acted as helper for the Jew, and this tall fellow with the horrible grin may have been that poor fellow. Most likely they got into a quarrel over the money.' and fought it out to the death. Great Scott, but what a grim duel that must have been here in this dark cavern. When they had looked the cave all over, they carried Manson's strangely found fortune aboard the sloop and sailed for home. Two days later he bade adieu to his friend and departed two weeks sooner than he had planned but not until he had made a solemn promise to return the next summer and bring a companion. 
End of chapter 26. Recording by Roger Moline.